Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next, uh, my next guest also knows a number of secrets about public radio as well as creates a number of his own. Uh, he is the uh, author and uh, commentator David Sedaris. His books include Naked Barrel Fever and his new one called Me Talk Pretty One Day. He's uh, with us here today. Uh, we'll be signed books after the broadcast. We are the full-service radio show, by the way. Uh, and uh, will you please welcome, wearing a handsome pink shirt and tie, the best-dressed person in the audience today, please welcome Mr. David Sedaris. So you reveal a number of secrets in, in your new book, for instance, the kind of uh, the, the list of criteria of, of uh, potential boyfriends that you would not want to, uh, to have, you know, the kind of, if, if for instance, they spoke French a lot, they dropped, you know, uh, for some reason, je ne sais pas, they drop a lot of French into their, their conversation. I think every, I, I just had a list of qualifications that were unacceptable, but they were mainly based on people I'd gone out with before. Like, you could smoke, but you couldn't smoke Merit brand cigarettes. <laughs> you couldn't own any uh, cowboy boots. Um, you couldn't say, this was my first tattoo. Or, <clears throat> or have a nipple ring. Or just, just, you have to narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. But you also admitted that for yourself that people had found you sometimes exhausting. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I, like there were millions of people and I said, not you, not you. I mean, nobody wanted me. So it was, <laughs> you know, my list could be as long as I wanted and I didn't really make any difference. No, I, I lucked out. I went to this guy's house to borrow a ladder and I thought, oh, there's my boyfriend. And I just, and then I, and I schemed, I invented a, a, his name is Hugh and I've known him for like 10 years now. And so I called him over to my house to ask him some technical advice on this project, and then I said, oh, well, maybe I have one more thing. Let me come over to your house. So I went to his house, and I took little notes, and I hid them in his shoes and in his drawers and in his ice cube tray. Fall in love with David. Think about David. And, and it worked. And, and I think you like the fact he had a, a, what, a 12-foot ladder. He had a 12-foot ladder. That's what, which is a sign, always a sign of something. He had a... A 12-foot ladder, which meant he had enough room for a 12-foot ladder, which I certainly didn't have. So that's how, I, that's how I initially met him. I was doing a painting job, and my friend said, I know a guy who's got a ladder. So we went over to his house, and yeah, he was sitting at home baking pies on a Friday night. That's a good sign. So we've been together ever since. You've, you've spent uh, an extended amount of, uh, of time recently in, in France. Has that been the, the sort of high cultural experience you, you always fantasized? I never cared about... I never had that romantic notion of France. Like, I don't care where Hemingway drank or Alice B. Tolkless had her mustache trimmed. I really don't <laughs> care. I don't... Uh, I've been there for two years. I've never set foot in the Louvre. I live three blocks from Notre Dame. Never, never been inside there. To me, it's just one big ashtray. And so you can smoke wherever you want. And so I don't see why would you go to France and go to the one place you can't smoke. So I'm not going to go to the... And so I go um, to, the, to the movies every day, because you can. There's 300 movies a week playing there, and a third of them are in English. 
and my new thing is I go to the doctor all the time. It's so, it's so cheap. I, I hadn't been to a dentist in, gosh, 13 years, and 14, 45 minutes in the dentist chair, $40, please. They're giving it away. They are just giving health care away there. It's a very low cover charge for your entertainment. And this is without insurance. They never say, do you have insurance? They don't care. You know, if that... If you want a new kidney, you want a new kidney, and that's the way it goes. But it, it really is, it's, it's just heaven. I would suggest that for anyone. Like, if you broke your leg, just crawl to the airport, fly first class. Fly first class to Paris, and it'll be cheaper than going to any doctor here. And, and they'll probably say that you can uh, start drinking a glass of wine again right away, right? I was in the emergency room um, six weeks ago, and they let me smoke in the hospital, and that's <laughs> heaven. Like, why leave? Why leave the hospital? I mean, I'm on a Demerol drip with an ashtray in my hand, watching Charlie's Angels dubbed into French. It's just bliss, you know? I don't... So I don't understand, like, sometimes visitors will come, and they want to do all of this. You know, they want to go to the Eiffel Tower and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, do you have any bunions? We could go have those removed. Or <laughs> just to do, I like France just not for, I don't really care what it was. I just like what it is. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, there are all these charming outdoor markets. Well, I couldn't be bothered. I like the grocery stores there. And if they sold meat in vending machines, I would buy it. Any, any situation where I don't have to talk too much. So, so you don't sit there reading Proust and looking up at the streets and going out and buying madeleines and trying to have that kind of a, um, that kind of a je ne sais quoi experience? No, never, ever. It doesn't, that doesn't interest me in the least. The, uh, there's a very uh, poignant uh, essay, as well as funny, I want you to know, in, in your book here called uh, Me Talk Pretty, where you were hauled out of the classroom and asked to uh, what sort of two football teams you like, and you chose the wrong one. You chose the wrong football team to say that you were an advocate of. I didn't realize it until years later, but so I, I was taken to a speech therapist f um, who tricked me into saying, asking which team I liked best, state or Carolina, and I chose state. So I was taken to speech therapy, and I never realized it, but it's, see, speech therapy in any school is basically future homosexuals of America, and they, <laughs> and they can spot you early. Like, they spot you first or second grade, and they take you and they put you into a concrete room together. So you get to know, identify one another. I was in speech. I took speech therapy for a long time, and it, as you, it just didn't work. It just didn't. And I thought a while ago, I thought, well, I could try it again now. I have an improved attitude. Maybe I could do it now. But by now I'm lazy. So it doesn't, uh, I don't know that it would work for me. But I don't know anybody who speech therapy worked for. There was a there's an Englishman Jonathan Miller who has trouble ser saying certain consonant sounds. He'll get up in the morning, and he'll say, "Oh, I think I'm gonna have problems with M's today." And so throughout the entire day, he finds himself constantly coming up with with alternatives to words that he would otherwise use that uh, that he can't say because they begin with the letter M. And another day, it might be T or something. And there's there's a part in the story where you have to get through an entire conversation with the speech therapist in which she's trying to ask you questions in which you are not going to answer with any words that have the letter S in them. Yeah, I tried as, as hard as possible to avoid any kind of an S sound. So, and my mom gave me a thesaurus. And so you, you had, which is a fun word to say anyway. Yeah. 
a big book was <laughs> what I called it because you, and that was my what I just tried to do was avoid any S sound because the speech therapist told me to talk like this, which that to me that sounds much worse than having a little lisp, but maybe you talk like this and then after you do it for a couple of years it it evens out or you don't think about it anymore. But I. I just couldn't bear to do it, so I just thought it was e easier not to, just to avoid an S sound altogether. And so part of the, the experience with the speech therapist became competition. She was trying to get you to say an S and you were trying to avoid it, which seems like a pretty sensible form of speech therapy, sort of self-induced on your part. Well, I think now that would make for a good game show. There's a, <laughs> there's a game show I listen to on the BBC on the radio and, and people have to tell a story, but they can't repeat a single word. They can't repeat, like if somebody said, if the theme was uh, fishing, and someone said, I went fishing and I caught a big fish, because they, they said the word, they repeated a word. And these people on the show are great, and they can tell five-minute stories without repeating a single word. So that would be good. A good little game show with a, with a letter that people were not allowed to use. I don't like Sedge Thompson. That's pretty... Tough. <laughs> you, get, you got it both your first and last name. And in yours, you've got kind of, is Sedaris. Uh, yeah, but I can just go by David. <laughs> <laughs> or hey, you. you know, yeah. So the, uh, the, the idea of uh, what we brought along your notebook with, with some little doggerel or something in it. I know you like to carry, you've got an oh, orange I, bag here. Oh, with a shirt in it. Yeah, I have to change clothes later today, so I, I brought a shirt with me. <laughs> oh, nice. Stripes. You look good in stripes. Here, I'm sorry. I think I put your shirt back in here. <laughs> the secrets of the book tour life. What? These are just some little little poems. I've been writing these things for Esquire and doing a back page for Esquire, which is under pressure because it's supposed to be humorous and Often it's just a premise, it's funny, and nothing else. So <laughs> these are the ones, some of the ones that I wrote for August, for the, and they're little poems about dogs. Pepper, Spot, and Leopold were sent by God, so I've been told, in hopes we might all comprehend that every dog is man's best friend. <laughs> Most every evening, Goldilocks snacks from Kitty's litter box. <laughs> then on command, she gives her missus Lots of little doggy kisses. <laughs> the Deaver's errant pit bull Cass bit the postman on the ass. Her lower teeth destroyed his sphincter. Now his walk's a bit distincter. <laughs> That's quite a rhyming dictionary you've got. I love that rhyming dictionary. Can you, can you do these sorts of things in French? Um, no, I never tried. We had a lot of homework in my French class, but we were never told to... We never had uh, the project of writing, writing poems or anything. That would be a good little project, though. Yeah. What, how, how did your French class go, after all? You were, you were with uh, other Americans? There was not a single... I was the only American in the class. And so then the teacher would... You know, like Bill Clinton during that impeachment hearings, everyone, I was the only American in the class, and the teacher would say, you Americans, you're all such prudes, and everyone in the class would say, yeah. But I'm like, 
I'm the only one in my address book who hasn't had a three-way. I mean, how, how, how prudish are we? I, but I was the only American in the class, and everybody else was from all over the world. So you make your own little mistakes that you would make from your country. And then, oh, my teacher, she was aggressive, an aggressive teacher. And, you know, she poked a Korean girl in the eye one day with a pencil, telling her to wake up or go back to Seoul. And she <laughs> threw chalk at people. And, and so I wrote a story about her. And then and she read it, and I was asked not to return to the school anymore. <laughs> There are other schools that I can go to, but I, I talk like Yoda now, pretty much. I, I just try to be really cheerful and like, maybe like a retarded person, like somebody who's just kind of slow, who's, and you think, where's that nice retarded person? That's what you would think. The one that's happy all the time, and that's what I, that's what I talk like. But people have been very nice and patient with me. You know, you hear beforehand, oh, people cut you off when they never let you finish the sentence. And that's not the way it is at all. I, I, I have to work with what I know, so it forces me to think like, uh, like I'll, at, the lo at the butcher shop one day. I don't know, I didn't, the word for brains escaped me, so I could say, are those the thoughts of cows? And, <laughs> and, they're like, like Ponce du Vache? Uh, yeah, and they're like, yeah, I guess they are. So it makes, <laughs> you can make other people think about things in a different way, too. And I'd like those in a little butter, please. A little buttered thoughts. Yeah. But but it um, but you know you know you pick up new words and so then you you get a little bit better every day. But I and I got a television and that helps an awful lot too. Oh, but, but you pick up the vernacular easily. Yeah, and I don't want to speak in slang. I just want to be able to recognize it because you don't want to be the kind of person who and you see it's so pathetic when when you're a foreigner in another country and you do this, and it would, be the ask, it would be like coming here and saying, oh, you are such a turkey, you. Like, just <laughs> using some outdated slang term that's just horrible. So I just want to recognize those words. Yeah, because you would know if you were watching a rerun of a popular French series that may have been 10 years old by the time you were seeing it. Well, there's a television show on, and it's just the strangest things, like a game show in which married couples play strip poker. <laughs> And they don't, like, the, like one night the woman will be topless in just her panties and the guy will be wearing mesh briefs. But this, is, this is French television. Yeah, it's television, but I don't know why they're playing. I don't know. I, you know, I miss the big picture sometimes. <laughs> I, Somebody handed me a note before the show. They wanted uh, Monsieur Sedaris to do his Billie Holiday impersonation. You said, no way. What, what is it about this Billie Holiday Oh, it's something I did uh, for the book, and then I did it on, uh, I would go on these lecture tours twice a year, so people would ask me to do it, and I would think, oh, okay, if you ask, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do it, but if somebody asks, it seems like you should. And now I've realized that if someone asks you to do it, you should, but only if um, the people had to pay $40 to be there. Oh. <laughs> kind of like going to the dentist. Exactly. The person who handed the note, do you want to give David $40 right now? <laughs> so do you ever get tired of writing short pieces? Do you, do you want to just sort of like really let yourself go and, and write like a 500-page war and peace type novel? No. I have a 10-page attention span. And... If something becomes 12 pages, I just don't care about it anymore. Yeah. But I, 
I've signed a piece of paper to write something that's, you know, a sprawling. Uh, they call it a, a novel is the word that they use. <laughs> but I don't want to, and I don't know how to, so, but I'm supposed to. So you signed a piece of paper. Do they let you smoke? I mean, is that part of the agreement? That you can smoke while writing a sprawling oh, I can, ranch, I can, uh, duplex, whatever it is? After I went to the dentist for the first time in, ten, in 13 years, one of the reasons I was afraid to go here is because you'd get lectured. 13 years, you know, and they'd go on and on. So I have this little gum disease, so... And I went home and I read about it, and so I went to my French. Peri- I started going to this periodontist, and I went back and I said I I re- I, I readed a story about the bad gums, <laughs> and is it true that I that it is necessary for me to stop smoking? And she said, oh, "Don't be dramatic." <laughs> <laughs> and that's great when a doctor will tell you, like, oh, "Don't go overboard." So you were, uh, you were you're relieved by that. How are, uh, I remember one, one of the times that we talked um, earlier on that you were telling a story about how your father once slammed on the brakes of your car to try to get you to stop from touching the windshield with your head periodically. It was, it was kind of a twitch kind of thing that you needed to do. Um, and that was a very heartbreaking thing to read, you know, that your father would be so angry that he would want to hurt you in, in that way. Um, did that have any effect at all? I mean, did that cure you of that twitch or make you want to do it again? Oh, no, no. I mean, I would have to touch my nose against the windshield and it got on his nerves, so he just slammed on the brakes one day. But I... <laughs> stuff like that, if it happened to someone else, you, it's just funny. I mean, I'm not... If it happened to somebody else, it would be really funny. So then if it... <laughs> if it happens to me, I have to admit that it's funny, too. I just think that's funny for a dad to say, you do that one more time, and then you do it one more time, and then... <laughs> Your nose is just smashed up. You know, he slams on the brakes, and then you've got a bloody nose, and it's just funny. Has Hugh ever tried anything like that with you? Hugh? No, I mean, I was just, I was one of these people, and it really, I think that they do studies for everything else. They do studies that prove that if people who wear socks to bed live 10 minutes longer than everybody else, they spend all this money doing these studies but they have not done the study on the beneficial effects of cigarette smoking. <laughs> and I was born to smoke. And until I started, my life was a mess. And so I don't do those things anymore. I mean, he complains about other things, but he doesn't have any... I don't, I don't have to line things up in a row, and I don't have to get out of bed to lick the light bulb in the refrigerator. I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. Did you do any of those, like, measuring fingertip lengths uh, thing when that study came out uh, about how to tell whether you were gay or not by the length of your index finger and so on and so forth? The did length you, of did, your index Did you hear about that study in France? No. You've heard about this study, right? It was, it was big news in the Chronicle here. What is it? I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but it has to do something with the length of a couple of these fingers. I, I don't know. Does anyone know exactly? Ring and pointer. Ring and pointer First of all, you have to be a woman? Well, I'm... Oh my God, I'm a woman. <laughs> Just looked at the length of your So does Hugh smoke? No. So how does he put up with you? It's not that awful. I mean, people say, oh, how does I... I was here, I came here in April to go on a lecture tour and I saw this commercial, right? And it's... 
And it's a guy sitting at home, a grown man sitting at home. And this is a commercial designed to make a person feel guilty for smoking in their own house. And I'm guessing that this man paid for the house and paid for all the furniture. And then his conscience comes, and, he, and, you're supposed, and, and there's children upstairs with behind closed doors sleeping. And it says, for your children's sake, step outside. So it's a man who bought this house who's stepping outside of his own house in the middle of the night to smoke a cigarette, and that is disgusting to me. <laughs> they make it sound like, like, you know what, let the kids step outside. They didn't buy the house. I think, I think he probably didn't want, didn't want him to fall asleep and have the house burned down. You know, I was at a hotel a while ago, and this is a new thing. If you ask for a smoking room in a hotel, they put you on the first floor overlooking the parking lot. They make it seem like, well, you're going to die, so it doesn't matter what you see when you look out your window. And... <clears throat> And the, and, but I was in this hotel in Michigan, and they said, well, we're putting you on the eighth floor, and it's reinforced with concrete so you don't burn the place down. <laughs> and I've never in my life started a fire with a cigarette. But do, I, do you feel a pariah because of this practice? Um, anymore. Here I do. That's why you go to France, and you get, you get dirty looks if you don't smoke. It's <laughs> heaven. Heaven. And all these people moved to Paris in the 20s to escape prohibition. I I'm expecting huge numbers of people, most of the South and Midwest, just to empty out and everybody to, to move to France so they can... And the French, of course, will welcome them. Well, they just don't... You know, that's been a really nice thing about France is that somebody doesn't... People don't, like, stamp their little feet. I don't like perfume. You can't wear perfume anymore. Or... I don't, a dog bit me when I was five, so you can't bring your dog into the grocery store. You know, they just just do what you want. And they, they, if you're going to tax people that much, you've got to give them enough to keep them happy. So <laughs> let, them, let them smoke. Let them bring their dog into the grocery store. Let them douse themselves in perfume, and we all get along fine. Do, do you pay a lot of French taxes, then? I'm not a citizen, so I pay American taxes, but then you pay a tax to live in Paris. But that everybody has to pay, but you know, the mail comes twice a day. They're constantly out there cleaning the streets. You see your tax dollars at work. You see the benefit of it. So it's not, it's not that bad. Really, I think in any city, like in San Francisco, if they say, okay, you have to pay, you have to pay $100 a year to live in San Francisco, and then we're only gonna put this money towards beautification. In a, and, uh, I don't know. I don't think that's such a bad idea. Then it would just, you would know where that money's going for, but then people would just fight over what does beauty mean, so. <laughs> I, I like the post office, uh, the, the, the mail delivery story. I mean, the mail delivery here is, 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 is miserable, and there's a, uh, uh, there's a post office uh, near my house that, that makes you take a number to wait in line, even if you're the only person in the post office. <laughs> that sounds pretty awful. I... Um, the only bad, the bad, only bad thing about mail twice a day is that you're capable of getting nothing twice a day, which <laughs> makes you feel. Your uh, your sister is a uh, Gretchen is a, a watercolor, watercolorist. She's an artist. She went to. She was just my parents sent her to like camp sketch more and stuff. She was always <laughs> just extremely talented, and and I just wanted to be like her, so I. I tried to do everything that she did, but I have no talent whatsoever. For painting? For, yeah, for painting. And so then I discovered performance art, which means no talent? Great. Come this way. <laughs> and, 
And I just owe the world so much from these horrible things that I did. I, I discovered crystal methamphetamine and performance art at the same time, and that's a <laughs> deadly combination. It really is. And it was just the worst kind of vacant. You know, you get up in front of people and you kind of stare off into space and then you pour BBs into a rubber boot and uh, just, just, just awful stuff. Just awful. And I think what stopped me was when my drug dealer moved out of town and then I couldn't find any more speed. And then I went to watch, my friends started doing the same thing. So I'd go watch their performances and I would think, what is the difference between theirs and mine? The only difference is that they're on stage or I'm on stage, but it's just awful. Yeah. It's just terrible. I mean, there's the, the good stuff, but I've never seen it in my life. <laughs> so pouring the BBs into the boot was one of your routines? Yeah, yeah. Did you say anything or you just looked into the distance? Oh, or? You can't say anything because you, and any kind of narrative would, would cheapen it. <laughs> So doing Billie Holiday impersonations then uh, for, for fancy price tickets is a, is a big change, a big improvement then in your performance world. I, all I ever wanted was a little attention. That's all I ever wanted. So I tried, being an, an, I tried acting, and then I tried being a visual artist, and I tried performance art, and writing was, uh, was next on the list right beneath uh, interpretive dance. So I, <clears throat> But I just worked my way down the list thinking... Maybe this will work, because that's just all I ever wanted, was a little attention. And don't you enjoy, uh, I mean, obviously, enjoy a little attention. This is great, to get a little attention. The, uh, the role that radio has made in your career as, as, as a performance artist, as a, as a writer, has, has, has made you in many ways. Which are, I mean, some of the voice characteristics that, that you have um, make you identifiable, uh, just as, even just by saying a sentence on the radio, and people identify... David Sedaris' voice very easily. Um, yeah, but it's, it's interesting to me. I've been on this book tour, and, and I do a lot of things on This American Life, and I, I'm used to people coming up and saying, I love that story that you did about going to that mountaintop in Vermont, which was by David Rakoff. <laughs> and so anymore, I just say, thank you. But the other day, somebody said, I just want you to know that I really loved your Frank Sinatra piece. Okay, and it's one thing to be mistaken for David Rakoff, but now I am being mistaken for Sarah Vowell. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> who I would easily claim the writing aspect, but vocally, yikes, that's, that's out there. <laughs> so what is it you think listeners uh, miss, then? Miss? Yeah, I mean, how, how, do they, how do they make that kind of shift? You know, uh, you know, I mean, we certainly have, you know, people call up our office and say, you know, we'd, we love that interview that you did with Menachem Begin, you know, you know could we get a copy of it? And Menachem Begin, for one reason or another, is just not regularly on our show. I don't, I really don't, I guess David, David and David Rakoff and me, but maybe they just hear the David thing and they don't listen too hard mm -hmm. after that, or I just think that they have like those hearing aids the size of jumbo shrimp, that's what they must have and, and miss it entirely. I don't know how people, but I'm, I mean, I'm flattered by those, that people would, would confuse me with Rakoff or, or with Sarah, but... You know how that is. I mean, people hear your voice on the radio, and, and then to me, whatever they imagine is absolutely fine. There's some... I got to a radio station... I was at a, some interview, doing some interview on, for a book tour, and somebody had been told a week before, no, David Sedaris is a dwarf. And so they... <laughs> with completely, He completely believed this. He had, had heard this on good authority. 
And, you know, I'm close, but I'm not. <laughs> but I love that. Whatever people imagine is fine. It's just you sort of hate to ruin it by showing up in person. I mean, if I had my way, I would go and do these readings and people would see nothing but a, a book and an external catheter. <laughs> and maybe a little plume of smoke coming up. Yeah. 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 David Sedaris is a new book called Me Talk Pretty One Day, published by Little Dwarf Brown. David Sedaris... There at West Coast Live. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.